Rotations is all about allowing interesting people the opportunity to share their opinions and ideas. Some listeners and viewers may find the ideas and content expressed disturbing or objectionable. I'm here to help. How long would do, how long do we get you? Uh, I'm here until I uh, run back up to my office and scoot over. <laughs> I'm actually an audio engineer. Uh, I, I got that. <laughs> He's yeah, it was impressive. He plays one on TV. It's true. I've got a face for radio, in fact. <laughs> Thank you. That joke normally does pretty well. <laughs> Funny thing is, my students don't always get that. Yeah. And then I, then I cry and cry and make a joke about cassette tapes. <laughs> and, then it, then, and then that doesn't go well either. Because they don't know what those are. No, they don't. They really <laughs> don't. Okay, folks, uh, this is Todd Fredericks, uh, Assistant Professor of Family Medicine at Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine with another episode of Rotations. Nisarg may be joining us. He's, uh, he was at a wedding all weekend, and uh, so he slacked off on that interview, <laughs> and um, now he says he has class as a second year. I don't know why he's going to class when he could be doing this, because we're, we're very blessed to have uh, Dr. Ramzan Shahid, MD, um, at, um, at Loyola. Uh, to talk to us about emotional intelligence. Also, we have Laura Jensen. She's one of our resident uh, family medicine research uh, folks uh, in our office. She does great work, uh, anthropologist by training. And Dr. Sharon Casapula, who is a professional educator and who has all sorts of ideas about how we teach people, most of which are way above my head. And uh, with that, uh, we'll just welcome uh, Dr. Shahid. And thanks for showing up, Dr. Shahid. Yeah, great. Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, so I think what I, we want to know first is tell us about your background um, and where you came from and what happened and how you got your education, all that stuff. Sure, sure. So uh, I pretty much I've grown up in uh, Chicago my whole life. Uh, I went to University of Illinois at Chicago um, for college um, and then stayed there for medical school. So I got my uh, MD from University of Illinois Chicago back in uh, 1996. So it's been over 20 years now. Um, and then I did my Gen Peds uh, residency training at uh, Advocate Christ Hospital in Oak Lawn, which is in the southwest suburbs of Chicago. Um, stayed there as chief resident and really enjoyed academics and have pursued a career in uh, academic pediatrics ever since. Uh, my main role uh, over the last 18 years has been um, in the role of program director or associate program director, so really involved with medical education was also a student clerkship director for pediatrics for a while. Um, so just involved with uh, medical education at the undergraduate medical education level and, uh, and also the graduate medical education level. Uh, currently, I'm at Loyola University Medical Center. I've uh, been here for nine years. Um, my current role is uh, residency director for the pediatric training program, uh, also uh, division director for uh, general academic pediatrics, and also clinic director for our pediatric clinic. So a few different leadership roles uh, that I hear have here at uh, Loyola, but my main focus is uh, resident education and uh, um, uh, you know medical education and academic pediatrics. So that, that's how I got involved with emotional intelligence is uh, um, trying to make myself a better leader um, uh, uh, in my role as residency director and uh, learn that emotional intelligence is really important for leaders and also uh, realize that it's important for physicians in general and thought it was something that, that we should be teaching our residents uh, along the way. I'm just going to make a quick comment. You also have a, a linear engineer's mind. I can look. I can always tell. I always look at the bookshelves behind our guests, and I can tell that you're a highly ordered, highly organized individual because your bookshelf is laid out in a way that tells me that you probably have interesting differential diagnoses with your students. Um, so, uh, uh, Dr. Sheed, if you can tell us, I, I, and give us the, the 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 general practitioner explanation, because I tell people that we're the we're the golden retrievers of medicine. We're we're happy. We like our patients. Uh, we may not be the brightest people on the planet, but so you so as GPs, 
tell us what emotional intelligence is. What does it mean, and why is it important that physicians, medical students, and, and, and folks know about this in medicine? Yeah. So first of all, you know, there's lots of different definitions of emotional intelligence, lots of uh, literature uh, about it. Um, and so depending on what book you're reading or what literature you're reading, it might be different. Uh, but I think a nice general definition of emotional intelligence is, is basically having an understanding of how you use your emotions to interact with other people. Basically knowing that your emotions affect you and they affect others around you and how you're going to use emotions to build strong relationships with others. So that's, I think, a very general definition of emotional intelligence. And I think it's very important for physicians, uh, in particular, to have good emotional intelligence because being a physician is all about having good relationships with your patients, um, with your staff, with your coworkers, with your office uh, uh, you know, managers and others in your office, with uh, everybody in the hospital. Um, so I think it's a it's a very important skill for physicians to have, and I think it's something that we don't uh, really train physicians in as they go through the training or even medical students along the way. So I think um, from a curriculum development perspective, I think it'd be important to develop those skills um, as we go through uh, the different educational uh, process of becoming a physician. Um, so I think it's very important for physicians to have the skills, and there's actually a lot of literature now coming out suggesting that EI or emotional intelligence um, is really important uh, when you establish rapport with your patients, when you want to. Uh, have interactions with your patients when you want to um, uh, have meaningful uh, um, uh, interactions with your patients and such. So I think it's a very important skill to have then. Uh, Laura, you have, uh, obviously, you're the kind of the person who inspired this. You, you have a question. Um, I'm wondering how that translates into the, um, how emotional intelligence translates into the doctor-patient interaction. Yeah, so I think emotional intelligence uh, is, again, really important for that relationship because it allows you to develop a trusting rapport with your patients. And there's actually studies that have shown that uh, physicians that high, have higher levels of emotional intelligence have better patient satisfaction scores, have, have patients that are more compliant uh, to the recommendations, um, and really just have a great uh, trusting relationship with their physician. So, uh, so I think it's really important for physicians to uh, have good EI levels because it really translates into great bedside manners. It great it translates into great communication skills with the with the patients, um, and I think that really uh, develops a nice trusting uh, interaction relationship between the patient and the doctor. Then, that was my other question too about patient outcomes. If it's correlated with patient um, improved patient outcomes. Yeah, like I said, so there are mm -hmm. studies that are looking at that and studies are suggesting that uh, it does uh, uh, improve patient outcome because they are more likely to follow up uh, with their doctor, more likely to be compliant with the recommendations. Um, and then uh, from a quality metric, you know, patient satisfaction scores are being monitored for physicians as outcome measures. Um, uh, and there are studies, again, that show that uh, it improves patient uh, satisfaction scores um, uh, when, when patients fill that out. Uh, so the higher EI level that you have, uh, the more successful you are in all those ways as a physician. Mm. Sharon, you got uh, you had you had some I, some things to ask. Um, well, I have lots of things to ask. I suppose <laughs> fire I don't away. Know if I want to, if <laughs> I want to jump ahead, I think um, um, I'm interested in the practical application of this. You know, what can we do in medical education to promote this in our students, and um, you know what. What what does the research show? Is there research out there that has, uh, you know, given us some ideas around um, successful uh, methodologies and, and practices for improving EI in in our students programmatically? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So 
So um, there's actually not as much literature on the students yet as there is on resident physicians. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of opportunity uh, um, to do more with the with the medical students. And most of that research is actually has not been done in the U.S. It's been done in other countries. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, medical schools here are lagging a little bit in that. But I think um, there's literature on the, uh, for resident physicians that um, does show that educational interventions uh, can improve the emotional intelligence levels and emotional intelligence scores um, uh, amongst resident physicians in different specialties. So there's there's several studies that have looked at different specialties, internal medicine, surgery, ENT, orthopedics, um, uh, looking at uh, their emotional intelligence scores and then different educational interventions to improve those scores. And actually, we recently published a, a study last year um, in our own pediatric and MedPs residents mm -hmm. um, that uh, assessed the baseline uh, uh, EI levels. Um, and then we did a, uh, did a education intervention and we're actually in the process of writing up that second paper to show that our residents EI scores did go up after an educational intervention statistically significantly went up when you use validated EI assessment tools um, to assess the, the EI scores and then do follow-up studies, um, their EI levels do go up. So literature is out there that, that does show that education interventions uh, can improve EI scores in, in resident physicians. Could you describe the educational intervention that you did to see that change? Sure. The, the specific one that, that, that we did, uh, um, uh, um, I basically did uh, two uh, separate two-hour workshops with our residents, mm -hmm. um, uh, and uh, in those uh, in those two two-hour workshops, we basically focused on the different components of emotional intelligence. I guess there's different models of emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I like the one that Daniel Goldman had uh, put together uh, um, uh, in his book uh, back in 1994, 1995. Um, uh, uh, he talks about four components of emotional intelligence: uh, the self-awareness component, self-management, social awareness, and social skill. So those four components he focuses on. So basically our workshop uh, focused on uh, all four of those areas and really talked about what those areas were, um, showed videos on uh, what uh, uh, self-awareness, when somebody's lacking that, what that looks like, or when somebody has high uh, emotional intelligence, what that looks like. So basically it was a, a lot of, uh, uh, it was kind of didactics where we you know, had PowerPoint uh, slides that I went over explain the different components, show some videos about each component, um, uh, gave some examples of what an evaluation of uh, somebody who has low EI scores versus EI, higher EI scores, what that would look like. Um, so the residents uh, went through those two two-hour workshops uh, over over a few months, and then we uh, um, did the pre-survey and then the post-survey uh, as part of that uh, uh, program then. So for the medical students, if I heard you correctly, that there's not a lot of literature on the medical student into this. It sounds like we're looking at residents specifically. So there's always this so what and why for the students because I my personal opinion is they're deluged with far more materials now than I ever went through medical school with. Um, and it's, it seems like it could be interpreted as another uh, feel-good measure to intervene in my life and, and bar bog me down when I'm just trying to learn the fundamentals of medicine. So to those students, Dr. Shahid, and specifically if you can, um, I'm interested in emotional intelligence from the perspective of physician resiliency and the impact of that on a practice lifetime. What do you say to the medical students when they, when they have that response of, this is just another checkbox I got to do, I don't understand it, I don't know why, I'm perfectly sensitive to people, what's the so what or, or, the, or the why? What can you yeah. say about that? Yeah, so I think there's a couple of uh, important components of that. Uh, um, 
you know, with with the ACGME and the competencies that they focus on at the resident level, which now many medical school curriculums are using those six competencies to evaluate uh, medical students. You know, I think the competency professionalism um, mm -hmm. uh, falls under emotional intelligence. So I think from a student perspective, um, uh, that component of professional is important. The competency of uh, interpersonal communication skills, I think has to do with emotional intelligence as well. So I think the medical students uh, need to learn those skills because again, that's a, a component of the evaluation process. Um, and then like you mentioned, uh, uh, resiliency, uh, the, the latest guidelines from the ACGME for the residents um, really focuses on, uh, on uh, improving resilience and wellness and preventing burnout. Um, and there's definitely a, uh, a component of emotional intelligence uh, that uh, studies have shown. Uh, um, it is uh, related to improvement of wellness and improvement of uh, resilience and prevention of burnout. So now that's a new focus that emotional intelligence um, uh, is going towards where, uh, again, studies in, uh, in physicians, not as much in medical students, but in uh, resident physicians, showing that emotional intelligence skills allow you to better cope with uh, the stressful situations of being a physician. Um, and that's a skill that should be developed at the medical school level to uh, uh, how to, again, cope with stress, how to go uh, recover from different challenges and obstacles that you have to uh, get through. Um, and having uh, those skills uh, uh, learned early on in medical school so that you can use them in, re in residency and beyond to uh, uh, manage stress in a better way, to cope with challenges in a better way, allow you to uh, be more resilient and prevent burnout. So I think it's a very important uh, consideration for medical students to develop those type of skills early on so that they can use them and rely on those as they go through their careers. So, Dr. Shahid, is there a, is there a possibility that this can become another Band-Aid for administration? that they can say, well, you know, a lot of your, a lot of the problem, the real problem, I think, in physician burnout is Dr. Pamela Weibel would say it's not burnout, it's overwork. It's mm -hmm. not having enough time to establish relationships with patients. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm, what I'm concerned about is, and it's, it's nothing against the concept of emotional intelligence per se, it's the, con it's the idea that does this become a Band-Aid for administrators to say, oh, well, if we just train you in emotional intelligence, then you can keep up with the 20, 30, 40 patients a day and your RVU productivity up, when in fact emotional intelligence is an important component, but it has to be matched against time to actually develop relationships. And, and, and emotions take time. I mean, they're not linear things. They are, you know, they're complex sometimes. And if you don't have the time to actually work on them, um, my, my, my question is, is what's the danger of using this and promoting this without coupling it to, it's not just that, it's other things in physicians' lives now that are preventing connecting with patients. Do you have some thoughts on that? Right. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely correct. I think, uh, you know, resilience and prevention of burnout, um, uh, we have to realize that it's not just the individual physician uh, um, that we have to focus on, but it's more of a, uh, a cultural uh, type of uh, change that has to occur at the institutional level. So I, I think it has to, I, I think giving physicians skills at the individual level, like emotional intelligence skills, to help them individually uh, develop resilience to prevent burnout is only one component to the overall uh, uh, concern of, uh, of burnout that we have. So I think it has to be coupled with um, not only individual skills, but programmatic, you know, departmental level changes um, uh, to prevent burnout and to promote resilience, and then also institutional level changes uh, that have to occur as well. So I think it's a small 
aspect of the overall problem of burnout that we have to address. And, and like you're saying, unfortunately, we're, we keep throwing it back to the individual physician. And it, it's your problem. You're burnt out. You're, you, you know, you're depressed. You're not able to manage your time well. Um, so I think uh, it, it can't be done in a vacuum. It can't be done isolated. I think it has to be it all has to come together at the individual level, at the departmental program program level, and also at the institutional level. And like you're saying, emotional intelligence, to really uh, have good, uh, strong emotional intelligence skills that really, uh, um, it, 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 you really have to focus on developing a strong relationship. Um, and when you're working with patients, that relationship, you can't, that takes time to develop. And like you're saying, the emotions, um, you know, if there's a sensitive issue that you're talking about with the patient, you have to be able to use your emotional intelligence skills to be able to uh, go through that conversation in a sensitive way, and that takes time and a strong relationship. And emotional intelligence does that, but you have to have the time to be able to do that. So I think um, uh, uh, you know scheduling appointments in such a way uh, that allows you to practice those emotional intelligence skills and allows you to develop those relationships, allows you to balance the emotions that uh, a physician might be feeling and address those emotions. All takes time, and I think uh, then then the the clinic or the institution has to support that physicians need more time with their patients to be able to do that then. Yeah, I want to develop in the second segment, I want to talk more about how we develop a curriculum and the best practices to look at this in medical school. But I'd like to, I'd like to kind of finish up with the, the question of paternalism. That, and it goes back to the previous question, which is, you know, everybody talks about the problem with paternalism, but you kind of alluded to it in your comment was, this seems like it's putting another burden on the physician. And what I'm to, you know, you need this skill set in addition to everything else you're supposed to have to make this work. What, I guess the question I have is, what is the responsibility in developing emotional intelligence from the patient's perspective? I mean, what do patients have to do in this relationship uh, if we're going to develop good emotional intelligence in practitioners? Yeah, you know, I think, uh, you know, like we said, emotional intelligence is all about building strong relationships, and relationships are always bi-directional. Um, it always includes two people, so your patient and yourself. So I think, you know, a physician demonstrating emotional intelligence, de demonstrating good communication skills, develop, uh, de um, developing good rapport with the patient, a trusting relationship, being empathetic towards your patients. So I think, um, you know, there's a lot of skills that the physician needs, but all that really allows you to have a strong relationship with your patient. And then the patient then gives back to the physician by being open uh, in their conversations, by being open about uh, what's happening with them, by having a trusting relationship with them, um, you know, by uh, 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 helping them uh, manage their chronic illness uh, together because uh, they have that strong bond now, they have that strong trusting relationship. So I think um, uh, relationships are always two ways. I think the physician's role is to do the best they can on their side with emotional intelligence skills and being empathetic towards patients and developing that relationship. Um, but at the same time, uh, the, the physician also has to trust the, the, the uh, I'm sorry, the patient has to trust the physician um, uh, to have an open conversation with them and to really develop that, that trusting relationship um, and to be uh, uh, compliant to the recommendations, to the follow-ups, to the, uh, uh, you know, uh, appointments that are being made and to schedule, uh, uh, schedule things that the physician is recommending. So, so again, a relationship is in two directions and I think uh, emotional intelligence is all about building relationships and having strong bonds with one another and, and there's going to be give and take uh, on both sides for the physician and the patient. But the physician uh, um, having that rapport with the patient uh, uh, hopefully will allow the patient to open up 
to the doctor as well and to uh, make it a two-way street, which I think is very important in that uh, physician-patient relationship. Yeah, in my line of research, I, I look specifically at veterans communications uh, issues in their health care. And activation is a term that comes up about how do you properly activate a veteran to start talking about uh, issues that can be deeply painful, uh, emotionally traumatic, uh, things that they don't want to talk about. And um, what I'm going to do when we go to the next segment after we finish up with Laura and, and Sharon on this side uh, there are qu any questions they have is I, I want as we go to the second segment maybe you can talk a little bit about and we'll get into this the the basic approach to what are the things you can do to start cultivating that relationship patient with patients so Laura you, you have something else for Dr. Sheed I was I was thinking about I was reflecting on what you were saying about the um, doctor patient relationship and um, and taking into and considering context and um, it's clear in the dynamic that the doctor has the role of the power position. Um, and so if he or her are coming from that place of modeling behavior, then you're much more likely to get um, the similar response back from the patient. So in, an, in essence, you're sort of teaching the patient how to communicate. Right. Um, and I think I think that's a very valuable thing. And actually, I was uh, it occurred to me too as you were speaking about um, emotional intelligence and the challenges around being overworked and the difference between overburdened and and burnout. And that um, it seems to me that as you elevate a, or teach in emotional intelligence in a practitioner, that they then um, may be able to reflect back and parse out. Um, if this is a personal thing I need to work on or if it's a structural thing that needs to occur. Um, and so then they can depersonalize some of the um, weight maybe of the practice by mm -hmm. saying this is a structural issue um, yep. and not exactly um, something that I need to take on for myself as my own personal responsibility. I think, again, uh, social skills as part of uh, and social awareness as part of uh, emotional intelligence, there's such a big emphasis on just treating others with kindness, being respectful for others, being courteous to others, you know, uh, being generous to others. So when you interact with others in that way, then they see that and then they're going to respond to you in that way as well. So uh, modeling that behavior, uh, you know, when, when, when something is escalating, you know, when somebody's getting frustrated or annoyed and you still just staying calm and you know, they're, you sense that their emotions are, 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 you know, are on high, but you don't uh, fuel and instigate any further, but you stay calm and you are in control, of your, in control of your emotions and you still treat them in a kind way, in a respectful way. So I think that goes uh, a long way in uh, diffusing situations that are kind of emotional uh, um, with the patient or with a colleague or with a parent or a coworker, wherever that might be. Uh, so I think uh, that's a very important component. So, so thank you for that comment. Yeah. I think just to comment that um, this is a, a lifelong journey for all of us, right? I mean, I think that we can do intervention, we can um, try different interventions and programmatic changes in, in, our, in our curricula, but um, it's not something we ever fully achieve, right? Emotional intelligence is something that we're all always striving to improve and, you know, through reflection and through feedback and all of the different techniques that um, that we implement, um, yeah. So I just think it's a, a lifelong journey. Do you have any comments on that? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think uh, emotional intelligence—it's—it's it's a skill that yeah. needs to be improved and developed, and it's constantly improving and developing. And you know, and, and there's probably 
days where we exhibit more emotional intelligence and there's days mm -hmm. that we have a lapse in emotional intelligence where we, you know, uh, where we got upset and, you know, didn't tap into our self-management skills that well and, uh, and things. So, yeah, so it's a matter of practicing it uh, and uh, developing it and, mm -hmm. and it evolves and it's, it, and it's a skill. And, 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 you know, that's a big uh, focus on, uh, on the concept of emotional intelligence that it's mm -hmm. very different, that it's very different from regular intelligence or IQ your EQ is something is a skill that can be developed versus your IQ yeah. is something that you're kind of born with and it doesn't change so, much, but your emotional intelligence can, can really is a skill that they really yeah. can evolve, develop and it's a lifelong uh, process to maintain it then. Yeah. One last comment or question, I suppose, uh, as a professional, um, working around other professionals who are overworked and, um, you know, don't have a lot of time, I could see how it would be a challenge for residents and students to maintain um, high levels of emotional intelligence when the culture that surrounds you um, kind of sucks the life out of you. So, you know, how do you do that? <laughs> That's putting it mildly on some days. <laughs> yeah. 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 So no, no you you're right. That? I think I think it's um, I think it's important to not only um, I can uh, have uh, like self reflection about that, but I think. You know, if you have a culture that helps each other that way, mm -hmm. you know, if I see something happening, I'll pull a resident to the side or afterwards say, you know, you know, we, we had to talk about emotional intelligence and controlling your emotions. And I saw that you were getting frustrated at that in, during that interaction. So next time, you know, just, you know, just be aware that you were kind of coming across that, that, you know, your emotions were showing that you were getting upset and that mom or that patient was responding in, in, in that way. So I think a lot of self-reflection and a lot of reminders um, for each other and kind of uh, uh, an awareness, self-awareness, but also overall awareness. Uh, so I think that goes a long way uh, by, you know, in, in a nice way, kind of calling each other out or reminding each other that, uh, you know, that moment there was a little, uh, you know, there, you seem a little frustrated or annoyed. And based on your mm -hmm. nonverbal cues, I could tell that, uh, you know, your emotions were, were being uh, being heightened. So uh, so just kind of reminding each other. And then that, that exercise, I think, is important. Self-reflection, self-awareness, stepping back afterwards and seeing how that interaction went and how it could have been handled differently. So the next time something like that happens, you can uh, learn from the previous experience then. Yeah, I, I think it's all. I think it's all really good. It's a little bit wonkish for people who are listening, and you may think, uh, well, this doesn't. You know, this is deep dived into you know some kind of you know educational, you know, pedagogical you know theory and all this. This is important stuff because I'm going to tell you in practice, um, especially when you're fatigued and tired, uh, you don't have anything left in the tank. And uh, when it comes to someone who needs you to be calm and in control, um, sometimes it's extremely difficult for physicians, tired, hungry, and ready to go home. Uh, to be able to say, okay, I still have a mile, and a, a mile and a half left in this marathon. How do I get my my final kick in to be able to continue? So, um, Dr. Shahid, if it's okay, we're gonna we're gonna bring you back. Um, and uh, what I want to do in the second segment is we're gonna talk specifically about research. And what I'm really interested in is in some uh, student types and your thoughts on that. So we'll we'll hit that when we come back. And so if you're good with that, we'll we'll see you in a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Great. Rotations is the weekly podcast of all things medicine and science and is part of the media and medicine family of medical storytelling. The opinions and comments expressed on Rotations do not reflect the official or unofficial positions of Ohio University, the Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine, or the Scripps College of Communications. Guests on Rotations are interviewed in an unopposed fashion so that their ideas and opinions can be freely expressed. Rotations is hosted by Nisark Bakshi, produced by Todd Fredericks, audio engineered by Kyle Snyder, and video edited by Brian Plow. Rotations is co-hosted by a League of Champions of all things medical and a few people we pull off the street. Rotations is copyrighted, and while we welcome citations, tweets, Facebook likes, and other endorsements via word of mouth and social media, 
we reserve all rights to content. You may use Rotation's content under the provisions of Creative Commons, but you cannot alter or edit the content in any manner without express permission of the content creators, and you must cite Rotations as a source of any content derived from the podcast. We welcome any comments, and you can contact us by emailing us at rotationspodcast at gmail.com, tweeting us at rotationspcast, or by visiting mediaandmedicine.com slash rotations.